you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Financial independence and retiring early. Put the two together and you've got F-I-R-E. FIRE, a niche within personal finance that is helping millennials, Gen Xers, and even baby boomers take control of their finances and get onto the path to a bigger and better life. What is it? How does it work? Well, this week we're joined by two experts in this area who have their own podcast telling the stories of people who are doing just this. They're going to help us think about how we can do it ourselves. Plus, we've created a free Debt-Free Guys Early Retirement Worksheet to help you prepare for it today. Just click on the More link in iTunes and download it now. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome to the podcast, Gwen and Jay from their own Fire Drill podcast. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hey. Thanks for having us on. (laughs) Absolutely. Would you mind giving our listeners an introduction of who you two are and what your podcast is all about, please? I guess we'll start off with Gwen, please. Yeah. So my name is Gwen and I am 27. I live in the Midwest. I've been on this journey for about six or so years depending on when you really want to say I started my journey on this financial independence path. I am the host of a beautiful cat. His name is Bartholomew and he's very fluffy and he loves me much. (laughs) And I am planning on quitting my job sometime in the spring of 2018. Awesome. Congratulations. That's That's awesome. What was the inspiration for that? I actually started dating this really awesome guy, but he lives five hours away from me. It really stinks doing this long distance thing. We decided that I was going to move up there because Minneapolis is way cooler than where I currently live. (laughs) That's awesome. The things we do for boys. (laughs) It's true. And Jen, do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about your story? Sure. So I'm Jay. I live in the Pacific Northwest with my husband and my very naughty dog. Naughty dog, (laughs) not naughty husband. And we enjoy hiking and all these things, but our side hustle, we both have blogs. And my blog is about career hacking and investing and saving strategies because we're both on the path to financial independence. And I'm also co-host with Gwen of the Fire Drill podcast. Awesome. I love it. So definitely check out their podcast. We'll put it in a plug early on. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I'll say that naughty husbands aren't necessarily bad. (laughs) As he looks at me. you said it, not me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I hear a lot and read a lot about fire this, fire that. Are you part of the fire community? What is fire? Can you explain that to our listeners, please? Gwen? Yeah. So fire stands for financial independence, retire early. And it's kind of this niche community, the nice corner of the internet, as some people say. We're all about optimizing our finances to be financially independent or retire early as quickly as we possibly can. So everybody has a different definition of what that looks like to them. But typically it means you either quit your job and do something that you like, or you quit your job and work and like hang out with your family, or you keep working at a job that you like better than the one that pays you the best. It takes a lot of, a lot of different forms. There's all sorts of flavors like Baskin Robbins. 
<laughs> That's an analogy. Let's hope it's not all rocky road. <laughs> it exactly, could be. Yeah. That but I'm bummed. That's David's joke for the night. <laughs> Did you have a Sazerac before this? No. No drinks. So you're saying then the definition of financial independence slash retire early is in the eye of the beholder, essentially. Yes. Yeah, we like to say it's the best build your own burger. But there are two main strategies that people use to get to financial independence. There's one strategy where people save up a large sum of money and then they withdraw from that pot over the next 15, 30 years, however many years they have left till retirement. And then typically you would save up 25 times your annual expenses. And that's that number that you have to reach. So that's one approach. And then there's another approach uh, where it's a cash flow approach. So instead of waiting until you've saved up all this money, you would purchase and acquire assets that would give you a monthly income that by the end of the year, you have that annual income that you need to survive and live. Gotcha. So that latter one is more the Robert Kiyosaki, Todd Trester kind of strategy where you have enough assets, paper, real estate, your own business that you've created that can subsidize your lifestyle. Exactly. Yes. That's great. And I love the 25 times your cost of living. I remember when we first tried to start saving our three to six months and then going to our six months, that seemed daunting. 25 times your expenses seems pretty... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a significant amount of money. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there a reason for that? Is that some sort of mathematical formula there? It kind of reminds me of maybe like the something like the 4% rule. It's the cousin for the 4% rule. So... If you have 25 times your annual spending, then you can take that 4% of that and live off of that. And you are mathematically likely to not run out of money by doing so. Gotcha. And Jay, do you have one of those that you are trying to live by right now? My original goal was to get to financial independence by saving that massive pot of money. And it seems really daunting to save 25 times your annual expenses. But as you go along this path, you start to really think about your expenses and do I really need that? Do I really not? And you can kind of cut your expenses down to get to a more manageable number. But then in addition to that, you realize that compound interest works in your favor. So at the beginning, saving up that first like $100,000, that's super hard and might right. take you a couple of years. But then it kind of skyrockets from there. And I think Gwen and I are at that point where our money is starting to compound, we're saving, we're investing, but we're also maybe wanting to speed up the process just a little bit. So I'm at the point where we just launched the podcast, we're starting our own businesses, and we're trying to do a combination of the saving and net worth cash flow approach. Yeah, so you're, you have savings. It sounds like you're also investing in the stock market. You're starting your own business. Are you also doing any real estate investing? I have a property. It was an accidental real estate property. My husband and I, we lived in Colorado for almost five years. And then when we moved, we tried to sell our house, but we actually couldn't sell it. We have a rental property. I wouldn't say that it's the best investment property. If I could do it again, I would sell it. And then I would use that money to buy an actual true investment property that cash flows. I think Gwen is a great person to talk about her current property that she lives in, which is cash flowing, and it will definitely help her in her early retirement. Good pass. I like it. Yeah. So Gwen, let's hear about this, this real estate. Spoiler alert. I have real estate. Yeah. I bought a property earlier this year in March, and it's a what used to be a single family house. And at some point along the way, it got converted into three units. So there's one unit on the downstairs and then there's upstairs is split into two. I currently live in one of the units and I rent the other two out. 
So I bought this house for $85,000 and every month I get $1,100 in rent and I live here. Wow. Do you mind if I ask what your monthly mortgage payment is? $705.43. <laughs> nice. I like it. So that That's positive cash flow. Great investment. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And so you're it's, essentially living there for free. Yeah. Essentially, that, yeah. It remind, reminds me of the small financial changes post that we have on our website. We spoke with Mindy Jensen, who works for Bigger Pockets, and she actually wrote about this in that post. The story of, I think his name is Todd, who works at Bigger Pockets, who did the exact same thing. He bought a I think it was a duplex. Either duplex, duplex or a triplex. Oh, you're right, Scott. That's it. Yeah, he's doing the same thing where his basically his mortgage is being paid for by somebody else. <laughs> yeah, it, seriously, it's the best way. I'm like, wow, this is great. Thanks, guys, for paying this down for me. Like, <laughs> I love this equity that's building up, and I'm not even you know doing anything towards that. Although I have to say that buying an old house like I did tends to have the unfortunate effect of sucking all of the money out of my pocket on various repairs and fixes that have been slightly neglected by the previous owner. So that oftentimes is comes with buying those lower price properties. The ones that have the the best upside potential oftentimes have the highest risk as well. It's true. So true. That movie Money Pit, it's not a movie. It's a documentary. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Even though I think Tom Hanks would probably want to forget about that movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The definition of retirement early, is there a sort of a litmus test or a benchmark to actually qualify to be defined as retiring early? Or is it just that you're not working for a W-2 that you don't like? Have you heard of the early retirement police? (laughs) No. (laughs) That's a term to describe someone who polices people who say they're early retired to say, well, wait a a second, you're making money on your side hustle or you chose to start a blog. You're not really early retired. And that's kind of a joke that those of us in the fire community have. And truthfully, what it means is when you have early retired, you are working by choice. So if you have a passion project that makes you money, that's awesome. Or if you found a side hustle that, you know, doesn't bring you money or has the potential to bring you money, it doesn't matter. It's that what you're interested in is guiding you and not money. So, for example, when I quit my job in the spring, I'm going to be diving headfirst into a passion project of mine, which is doing stained glass. So I think it's really amazing. And there's the potential that I could earn some money from it. But I'm not going into it with the idea to make money off of it. I'm going into it because I want to learn more about stained glass and I want to do more stained glass things. If it makes me money, that's awesome. But that's not the goal. What I think is very interesting, as John mentioned, it's it's become this self-definition of what retirement means. We are seeing so many people retire today in mass because they worked for 30, 40, 50 years at a nine to five. And so the kind of mass definition of retirement is putting on that leisure suit, getting into the golf cart and spending half the day on the golf course. But retirement to more individuals and more and more individuals today are starting to look at retirement as a a definition of how you choose to live your life separate from maybe an employer. Yeah. And it's almost like we're reclaiming that word retirement because when I Mm -hmm. think of it, I think of the guy in the golf course that I, you know, maybe my dad who worked at the same company for 35 years. But for us right now, or those in the fire movement, retirement's fluid. We don't really know what it means, but we're figuring it out together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can I take a step back a little bit? Did you both go to college? 
Yes. You did? Yep. And I'm assuming, what were your career choices or goals after you graduated college or leading up to college? So leading up to college, I wanted to be a police officer, preferably canine, so I could have a dog. And <laughs> I was never allowed to have a dog growing up, so that's why. I joined the military and figured out that people don't take me seriously. Nobody can see me, but I weigh about 125 pounds soaking wet, and I'm five foot four. So <laughs> people just don't take me seriously, and, and I don't blame them because I'm tiny. I realized that, that was going to be a bad career choice, and it didn't pay very much money. So I looked at jobs that did pay money, and I was like, oh, hey, like eight out of 10 of them are in IT. So that's how I got into the IT career world. Gotcha. gotcha. And Jay? So my experience is a little different. When I was 18, I wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, a vet, like every career <laughs> possible. I was so I did not know what I wanted. So I went to a liberal arts college and then I took every class spending thousands of dollars <laughs> studying everything under the sun. I mean, everything like from basket weaving to whatever. So I ended up majoring in political science and I took a lot of women's and gender studies classes and I learned a lot about the world and about myself and what I was interested in, but wasn't prepared for the real world at all. Eventually, I found my way into tech as well. And for reasons similar to Gwen, I knew it was a great, strong career field. I ended up getting my master's degree online that was reimbursed by my employer. I took advantage of career hacks to make my career move up, as well as complete the master's degree with as little money as possible that I owed. So then now I work in technology now. It's a great field. I love it. And it's a good field for early retirement because it has very well-paying positions. Ridiculously right. paying positions. And oftentimes you have some location independence and sometimes some time independence. You're not necessarily tied to a set schedule or having to work in an office, which is, I think, one of the great benefits of working in technology. Yeah, I definitely haven't taken advantage of that. I work more in bigger corporations, but I can say that the engineers that I work with come into work so late. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm like, where are you guys? You know, it's, it's just such a different environment than working before when I was in financial services. Yeah. So at what point did you both say this path that I'm on, despite how good the pay is and how much we enjoy the industry that we're in, did you say this isn't for me? And what made that change for you? Jay, we'll start. I think for me, I got into this through debt payoff. So I graduated school with around $35,000 of debt total. Then I met my now husband and he brought an additional 30 something of debt. Then we bought a new car. We got a house. We got new furniture on 0% interest credit cards. So somehow we rang up this bill of $100,000 of debt before we even got married. So what really motivated me with financial independence was I paid off all that debt. And then I was like, well, now what? What's next? And I wanted to keep the momentum. So I discovered this whole FIRE movement. And at the time, I was a typical millennial, like, oh, like work's awful, whatever. Now I really like my job. So I'm in a different situation. But I think the original impetus was like the debt payoff and then wanting to escape cube life. Yeah. <laughs> that I understand. <laughs> yes, definitely. John and I both used to work in financial services and were desk jockeys or phone monkeys or whatever you want to call it. We were tied to our desks. And the idea of being geo-liberated is certainly one of the motivating factors in our transformation as well. Gwen, what's your story? What made you finally say, this isn't the path I want to stay on? Day two in a office environment. 
You didn't like the halogen lights? They didn't have any canine dogs. They did not have any dogs. It was terrible. I don't know how people do that for 50 years. But no, seriously. So I didn't have any debt from college. I got a scholarship for academics and I was in the military. So I graduated debt-free and was like, well, I'm getting paid buckets of money and I have no idea what to do with it. And then I was like, well, I'll just save it. And then I was like, oh, I could just like ramp this up and like really do something with all this money. So that's how I got into that. I've worked for the same company my entire adult career, but I've had a series of jobs through that. And some of them have been awful and have really lit a fire under me to get out as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Even though now I like my job and I'll be sad to leave, but it's still just a job. Right. Still, you you want to stain glass windows. (laughs) I want stained glass windows and my boyfriend, and I can't have that here. So. You interview a lot of early retirees and pre-early retirees and a lot of financially independent folks on your Fire Drill podcast. What common themes or strategies have you heard that they've used that work? I'm thinking of finding solutions for someone who doesn't love their job, who's looking for freedom and may not live in the most job beneficial portions of the country. Jay, you got this? I think, well, the first thing I would say, the common theme most of the people who have retired early who have been on our podcast, they became super savers. Now, I'm not talking frugality. There's a certain niche in the fire movement where there's some really frugal people who are eating rice and beans for dinner and shopping at the Goodwill. And that's great. I'm talking about just like in general saving. And I think they pay themselves first. And this is what I do myself. And I know Gwen does this as well. So as soon as the money hits my bank account, it's gone. Like automated out. I invest it. It's going to my 401k. It's going to my HSA. It's gone. So I think that's a consistent theme that I see uh, across all of our interviewees. They have automated saving systems and they increase the amount that they save over time. Yeah, that's awesome. I will have to say that especially in our community, it seems like there's oftentimes this desire to have fun with your money first. We had a study that came out from Mass Mutual Mutual that said that 36% of us identify as spenders in the LGBT community versus 24% in the overall population. I think that that's definitely one trait that our community can pick up on and start paying ourselves first if we want to take advantage of this financial independence. Definitely. And I I was a super spender. I mean, I have $400 boots that I bought. I don't know why. Huge mistake. I did that in my past. But definitely being inspired by all these stories, it's definitely made me take another look at my spending and realizing that my goals are more important than what I wear or what kind of drinks I drink on vacation or whatever. The automated savings that you're doing, that your guests do, is it predominantly going into 401ks and HSAs or are there other kinds of accounts that they're using? Well, it depends well? On, on how much money they have, right? So I would say for the vast majority of people, they start by filling their 401ks. And then if you have the option to move into an HSA, some people fill that up, a traditional IRA or Roth IRA other tax advantaged accounts that people use. And then if you have any money left over after that, which I don't sadly, because I'm not that overpaid, <laughs> you can put money I'll into- I'll talk to your boss tomorrow. Right? <laughs> uh, you can put money into a taxable investment account, which is not tax sheltered in any way, but still a better spot to put it than you know under your mattress or in a bank account earning three quarters of a percent. 
Yeah. And there's certain order that you should probably do. So what I've traditionally heard, and Gwen, correct me if you disagree, but if you're someone who makes maybe like $60,000 a year or less, I would put the max 5500 in the Roth IRA first. So that's after-tax money that you can deduct. Oh, sorry, traditional IRA. Then I, yeah, I was would- gonna be like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, no. I'd put it in the traditional IRA. So that's $5,500. You can put it in there and you can deduct it on your taxes. And that's something that- $450 a month. Is that what you used to do, Gwen? Or 50 a month equals to roughly $5,500 a year. Yeah. So I would would do that first. And then I would max out my 401k. You can put $18,000 a year in there. And I'd do that next. By the way, this is for someone who doesn't trust themselves that if they don't take it directly out of their paycheck, they think they're going to spend it. Because- me. Yeah. So when it when it goes away, like you can't see it, you can't get at it. It's it's stuck there. That's a way that I was able to amass like a hundred K in just a few years because after a couple of years of putting in like almost twenty-five grand out of my control every year, it adds up really quickly. Or we talked earlier about the cash flow option. If you're someone who's interested in being a real estate investor, then you may not want to max out all of your tax deferred accounts. You may want that cash so that you can buy properties. So you may choose to do that instead. Makes sense. You have to have a clear strategy or understand what your short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals are before you embark on a path like this. Exactly. Absolutely. You got to pick a path. Yeah. Right. So I would think that as with most things that we've learned that you need to figure out, like we often talk about on our podcast, figure out what your hopes and dreams are. And we have the hopes and dreams worksheet available at debtfreeguys.com and then figure out the plan to get there. And it sounds like what Gwen and Jay are saying is they use these, the strategies that they're proposing here and probably on their podcast and all their colleagues on their various platforms, pick a strategy that you think will work best for you and stick with it. Do you find that people who have succeeded with retiring early have switched strategies at all? and progress throughout their journey? Or do they typically find something that they want to commit to and they stick with that? I think what we've seen is that people change their mind. And I know we're two examples of people who change (laughs) their mind. A lot of people start out and they don't think that entrepreneurship is for them, or they don't think that real estate investing is for them. So their plan is, okay, I'm going to stick at my job for 15 years, save as much as I can, and then retire early. But then they start a blog or they decide to buy a rental property. Or they decide, you know what, I'm actually okay living on less and I think I'm just going to quit it early and travel the world or take a mini retirement. So I think that's something that evolves over time. Gotcha. Did either of you think that you were entrepreneurs before you started this journey, maybe when you graduated college? Gwen? Honestly, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those... It's a learning... It's one of those affirming things. I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I have crazy hair and I say, you can do this. You are an entrepreneur. (laughs) So you're still trying to convince yourself? Yeah. (laughs) I'm getting there. I think you're doing a good job. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jay, how about you? Did you think that you were an entrepreneur when you first graduated college? Uh, I was lost when I first graduated college, to be honest. I was unemployed. I went to Starbucks every day and I I was on the internet. Like I don't I don't know what happened. But somehow I pulled myself out of that. And it was actually entrepreneurship that pulled me out of that. Because I had this resume, I mentioned I kind of dabbled all over in college. So I didn't have a consistent story and I didn't have a passion and I didn't have anything to present to a prospective employer to hire me besides a good GPA. So for me, I needed to build. So I scrapped my whole resume, basically, and I built a website about student travel because that was the only thing that I really had a passion for at the time. And I ended up getting picked up by a startup. They didn't pay me. 
So I was working from my parents' basement for a few months, like trying to take myself real seriously. But it ended up parlaying into an internship and ultimately a job in tech. So wait, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. You have to tell them where the internship was because that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the internship was at the U.S. Olympic Committee. So the Olympic Training Center for oh, the U.S. Wow. athletes. Nice. It was it was an nice. awesome internship. And the cool thing is that I got that because I started that student travel business, which didn't even make any money. So it was amazing. So entrepreneurship saved nice. me, I guess. That's, that's fascinating. Awesome. So first I'll say, I think some people's definition of retirement is to spend every day at Starbucks surfing the internet. <laughs> but second, so it sounds like, especially Jay, from your story, is another common theme for the FIRE community that people start a blog and or a podcast? I think that's actually a myth. So we have thousands of listeners on our podcast and we only know like 20 of them who have platforms too. So I think a lot of people think that the bloggers are representative of the community. And there's a lot of common themes among some of the bloggers. And it's a turnoff to people, actually. It's mostly males in their 30s who are software engineers. People don't identify with them and they don't think fires for them because of that. But what we've actually found is that in real life, fire is a very diverse group. Mm-hmm. Who you see on the blogs or who you see in the podcast is not necessarily representative of the whole community. Gotcha. And if I understand correctly, that's why you two started your podcast, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Especially women, they're an underrepresented group within the fire community right now. Awesome. They're also underrepresented in tech. So you two are hitting it <laughs> oh, on yeah. Both sides oh, yeah. Here. <laughs> Punching through glass ceilings, guys. When you decided that you were going to go on this journey to fire, how did your relationships change with your friends and family? And the reason I, I ask this is because mine and David's relationships with our friends and family changed significantly when we started to make changes to our personal lives. So I'm curious if you had the same experience. So we'll start with Jay. I had a little bit of a hard time. So I can think of situations where, example, I didn't go in on an Airbnb for one of my friend's bachelorette parties. And I had one of the girls texting me like, you're really hurting the bride by not staying with us, even though I lived 20 minutes away and I still went to all of the events. So, you know, when you're saving money or investing and you have bigger goals, a lot of your friends may not be supportive. And I've actually found that people are more supportive when you're trying to get into debt than when you're trying to get out of it. Like I bought a new car (laughs) and everyone was rooting me on like, oh, yeah, that car is great. Buy it, buy it. But, you know, the second I'm trying to pay it off, it's like, oh, you're cramping our style. You won't come out for drinks. You won't do this. I had a hard time. But, you know, it's been a couple of years now. And I think now my friends have realized what I've done and they think it's really cool. Now, that's paying off debt. People get that. Explaining financial independence or that you want to retire early, people think you're nuts. So I usually just say, like, I'll use self-deprecating humor and be like, yeah, I'm kind of a weirdo. I'm doing this. And, you know, see where it lands. Nice. I think for many people, the idea of being financially independent or retiring early, that's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because many of us don't have lots of representations of that in our lives. I mean, everybody that I know in my family worked until they were 65, 70 years old. So to tell someone in my family that I'm going to retire early or that I'm financially independent and I no longer need to work, <laughs> that's just that they can't wrap their heads around that. Yeah, right? yeah. Especially, I think, in, in the world we live in today with so few people diligently saving for retirement, we're seeing more and more people considering working until they're 70, 73, 75. Some people say that they'll never be able to retire simply because they've decided to live the life that they've lived instead of saving for a future. 
Definitely. Gwen, how about you? What about your relationships with friends and family? Well, since I got started so early, I haven't really found too much of an impact, especially because at the very beginning, all my friends were like, oh, I'm broke. I can't do anything because I have student loans and I don't get much money. So let's just stay in and drink. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, As a general rule, my family has been supportive. My stepdad kind of did the early retirement thing. He was laid off at the beginning of 2008 and nobody wants to hire a guy in his fifties. He was forced to retire basically, but because of his smart money choices, he's perfectly okay. And in fact, probably way more than okay. So they just wanted me to be sure that, you know, I was doing my research and I wasn't just being like, yeah, it's going to work out. I'm sure. You know, so they <laughs> they just wanted to make sure that I actually knew what I was doing and that I had plans and that, you know, I had reasons for what I was doing, but they've been really supportive. Although I did just tell them that I was quitting my job and they're flabbergasted. I earn by far the most money out of basically anybody in the family. They can't imagine that I would just walk away from that. We had to break it to my mom and dad a couple of weeks ago that David's going to be quitting his job and <laughs> and actually took it a lot better than we expected. <laughs> well, I think that they saw the, the advantages of you quitting and so they saw it first example through you and I think it makes them think that we might be moving back to Pennsylvania. <laughs> I don't think that that's going to happen. <laughs> so you have a great podcast. You interview a lot of people who are doing the fire journey or who have won the fire journey. What are some of the biggest success stories that motivate and excite you the most from all your interviews? We'll start with Gwen. I would say I think Bobby from Millennial Money Man is <laughs> my biggest inspiration. He paid off all of his student loan debt as a high school band teacher and then quit his job and did the online entrepreneur thing. And he's crushing it. Like he's getting paid like 10 times more than he was making as a high school band teacher. And that's just super inspiring. Yeah. The fact that he was able to do that has been amazing. He engaged with us very, a couple of years ago. It had, he had some questions on. about how to get started and what we're doing. And and all of a sudden, he just blew up. He was committed. Yeah, exactly. How about Jay? I think what stands out for you? The episode that impacted me the most, we interviewed Jillian from Montana Money Adventures. And she is someone who she never had a high income. Her and her husband took five mini retirements in the last 10 years. And they bought three rental properties and they fixed them up themselves with YouTube. And also during this time, she traveled the world with her six kids, four of them she adopted from the foster program and went all over Europe and did all this stuff together. And now they live this amazing, really simple life in Montana. So just hearing her tell her story, it completely flipped the idea of what fire sort of means. You don't have to wait. You don't have to have a high income. You don't need all these things. You can make your own fortune. Yeah. I love that example because that's one of the things that John and I are in a sense preaching to our community right now is that you can live fabulously without living fabulously broke. That happens when you decide what a fabulous life looks like to you, not to anyone else. And clearly that's what she has done. She said, I'm not going to sell myself to a job or to a career to have the life that I really want and life that I'll enjoy. She's just gone out and chosen the life that she wants and doing it. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, Gwen raised that point about the parental pressure and 
maybe me choosing this high income job was because I wanted to make my parents proud and make their sacrifices in some ways worth it because they never made anywhere close to the money that I've been making in this job. So to leave it would be so disappointing to them. So I guess like I've been reevaluating what am I really doing for me and what am I doing for other people in my life? Exactly. Exactly. At the end of the day, your parents are probably, they probably want you to be happy and secure and have a fulfilled life. And I think traditionally that's defined as having a secure job that pays six (laughs) figures and has benefits. But if you're able to reach those same goals through another path, I think if they're able to see that, I think like my parents have been able to see that they might change their mind and become more amicable to that, that new definition. Yeah. Totally. And I can visit them more. They'll love that. (laughs) (laughs) See, you can visit your family more. Mm -hmm. You can visit your in-laws more. Okay. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So again, you you interview a lot of people, you get a lot of advice and get a lot of insight. What is the number one piece of advice you'd both have for someone who wants to get started on the fire journey? They're just figuring this out. What's the one piece of advice you'd maybe kick them off with to get started? We'll go with Jay first. I think there's two things. The first thing is that you need to figure out what you're doing. So I had to go through and you can use Mint or Personal Capital or any of these apps and figure out what exactly you're spending. And if you're in debt, you got to figure out what you can snip or cut or sell. So for me, I sold almost $4,000 worth of stuff in my house on Craigslist. I went Craigslist crazy, but you wouldn't (laughs) believe it. Like all the stuff you accumulate over the years, or even if you have a small apartment, like you have, you know, 15 of the same mugs or pans, people buy that (laughs) stuff. So yeah, I would get in control of what you have, what you're spending on and figure that out first. And then the second thing I do, I'd go look for inspiration. So we can all hear a million debt stories, but sometimes it's like that one story that really encourages us to get going. And I know for me, it was the blog, nomoreharvarddebt.com. I don't know what it was, but something about this guy, Joe, really resonated with me and it got me motivated. So I would try to tell everyone, find whoever or whatever it is that inspires you to get going. Awesome. So that was nomoreharvarddebt.com. Yep. Yeah. And he tells his story of, I think it was like 100K of debt payoff over 10 months. And I went back to the very first post and just like listened and read the whole thing. So it was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. That sounds pretty amazing. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. Gwen, what's your um, number one or maybe one and two pieces of advice for someone getting trying to get started? Just do it. Like Nike says, you know, you're going to make mistakes and it's not going to go perfectly and there's going to be ups and downs. But the important thing is, is that you have time And in order to put that to work for you, you need to start as soon as possible. So even if you can't put in much, at least put in a little bit and start building those habits. And then eventually you'll up the amount as you get more comfortable. Absolutely. I'll agree with you there. One of the things that John and I loved was when we went from negative to positive, when we finally paid off our debt and our net worth changed from a negative net worth to a positive net worth. And even though the amounts were so small when we were starting to accumulate and putting money into our 401ks, putting money in our emergency savings account, as we started to watch that grow, it became so much more exciting. And our lives became kind of this game of seeing how quickly we could grow things and how the changes in our lives were really starting to pay off. Oh, yeah. It's totally addicting to watch your balances go up and up and up and up and up. Yeah. It's the best high. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, okay, maybe like like the third best high, but it's up there. Yeah. (laughs) The day when you can quit your job is probably one of the the highest highs. (laughs) No, I'll I'll say I was all excited to quit my job leading up to quitting my job. But that day I was really nervous 
because David and I talked with my sister this past weekend. My sister and I both had jobs pretty consistently since we were 14 years old. And when I needed to work nonstop and I couldn't take off for the summers and whatnot for college, I, I've always been employed. Yeah. So to actually go in that day and say, I'm quitting and tomorrow I'm not going to have a steady paycheck coming from someone else, that was pretty daunting. And I he think- had a steady paycheck coming in from me. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always I've, been financially independent to diminish what you're saying. <laughs> it's going to be exciting, but you're going to have some trepidation. You're, you already have trepidation. I, yeah, I'm so scared, but it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. Gonna... And to have the life we want, it's a hurdle that you're going to have to overcome. Oh, yeah. I am like freaking out and like trying to tell myself this is the really good idea. I'm pretty sure it is, <laughs> so I'm going to do it, but... You know, worst yeah. case scenario, I go out and I get another job. Right, right. Exactly. And that's what I said to David when he was you know, apprehensive a couple of weeks ago about quitting. And I said, the economy in Denver especially is like, what, 2.5%? unemployment. Like You couldn't ask for a better time to start out on your own because if it doesn't work out, you can you know find something else. But it will work out and that's not an option. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we often ask our private Queer Money Facebook group members to help us create the content for our podcast so, so that they get the shows that they want. So we actually have questions from two of our members. Teresa asks, and we covered this a little bit, but I'd like to cover it specifically so she gets her answer directly. Teresa asks, how do people know whether they want to retire early or if they simply want financial independence? Is there a difference there? And if so, how do you know you want one over the other? Gwen, do you want to start off? Yeah, I'd say the difference is how much they like the job or how much they like having a job. Because jobs run the gamut, right? Like you could be a fry cook at McDonald's, or you could have a super sucky cubicle job, or you could have like the coolest, funnest job in the world that's like, you know, 30 hours and it perfectly fits your schedule. And, you know, like there are people who would love to work and love having a job. And so for them, financial independence, that security that that provides would be their way. But if you hate your job, then you retire early and do your own thing. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. Jay, do you have an answer for that? Yeah. I mean, I think you don't have to know that until you get there. So a lot of people are saying, well, I don't think I'd ever want to quit my job. And it's like, well, you don't want to save a bunch of money and have the option to quit your job. Like it's almost a no brainer, right? Right. Right. To me, that's huge. When we finally got to the point where Dave and I had the discussion that at any time, if you want to quit your job, you can do so. That like changes the entire paradigm because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't have to be here. If things get sucky enough and I want to quit, I, I can do that. And that completely shifts your outlook on your job and on your life. We actually talked to some people at FinCon who ran into that scenario and they thought, you know what, maybe this job isn't that bad. I'll hold on for a little bit longer knowing that if I want to, I can quit any time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to predict what's going to happen in the future too. Like right now, I love my job and it's hard to imagine that I'd want to leave it. But, you know, reorgs happen or... A health condition could happen that you just didn't see coming, and you could be in a whole different situation five, seven years down the road. Exactly. Absolutely. Liberation. So Matthew has a three-part question. His first question is, are you retiring before 59 and a half when 401ks, IRAs, withdrawals would have a 10% penalty? My guess is you are retiring before 59 and a half, but you're not relying on your retirement assets until after you reach 59 and a half. Is that correct? Yes. This is going to blow Matthew's mind, but he needs to Google Roth IRA conversion ladder. So technically, you can get access to those funds before 59 and a half. And there's other things too. There's the SEP. So 
it's either sequentially equal periodic payments or separate equal periodic payments, but that's another way that you could get access to that money before. So there are ways that you can get access to it. But the short answer of it is there are some people who are planning to actually not touch that money until they hit those ages. And there are other people who they're relying on it and doing withdrawal strategies, like I mentioned before, to use before 59 and a half. That's interesting. For those listeners who want some more of that information, we'll do a little quick search and link to something like that. I may reach out to you, Jay, afterwards to get a little bit more information on that. Yeah, yeah. The second one is substantially equal periodic payments, I just remembered. Gotcha. Okay. I think that'll be interesting to see what Matthew's response to that is because Matthew works for a 401k company. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope I'm not telling all our secrets. <laughs> yep, exactly. So Close that, that means we can up. skip the second question. So we'll go to the third question. Likewise, for Social Security, are you ignoring Social Security as an income stream for the future? Or are you still planning on contributing to FICA taxes throughout until you reach official retirement age of 70 with your other income streams? That's a long way off for Gwen and I. I think in the FIRE community, a lot of people... And by the way, we're saying the FIRE community like we all know each other. I mean, we don't know each other. But it, it, <laughs> when you get into this, you get super into you it. You just know Gwen, right? Yeah, you meet a bunch of people. You just, get, you just get excited. But I think a lot of people are calculating their income without it. But, you know, it could be an added benefit when you get there. And what they generally say is that by working the full 30 years or whatever, you only get like a marginal benefit after that. Go Curry Cracker has a really good article on that or, you know, how people say like, oh, I want to continue to work so I can get the maximum benefit. And it's marginal. You probably should just not worry about it too much. I'm calculating for it in my plan. I'm looking forward to that. Gotcha. If it's still around when I'm older. I mean, I think it will be. But Yeah. See, right, that's yeah. where I'm coming from. I am not betting anything that the Social Security will be around when I get to that age. So I'm not including it. And we'll consider that gravy on top of the early retired cake. Gotcha. Oh, that's that nice. Sense. I honestly believe that everyone should think of it that way. Whether you're going to work until you're 70 years old or not, you need to look at that social security as gravy on top because you can't be relying on that because there is no guarantee that it's going to be there. What you can guarantee that's going to be there is the money that you put aside yourself. And at this point, we've had Democrats and Republicans in control of Washington, all complaining about how Social Security won't be around in 34 years yeah. and they can't get their shit together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not earning their pay. Those are great answers. I'm looking forward to see what the Career Money Group has to say to those. So we've really enjoyed having you guys on our podcast. This has been very enlightening for us. It just seems to me that what the FIRE community is doing is redefining what work and retirement look like. Exactly. And there might be some apprehension from people who have the traditional model stuck in their minds, but it seems like that's something that's evolving, which I think is exciting. It's kind of in line with the gig economy and how everything is changing in our world. So that's, that's pretty exciting. So thank you, Gwen and Jay, for your time today. Can you please share how our listeners can find more about you online, on social media and everywhere? We'll go with Gwen. Yeah. So I can be reached through my blog at fieryMillennials.com. And then I also can be reached through our podcast webpage at www.firedrillpodcast.com. Awesome. And Jay? Yep. And I'd add that we're live in iTunes and Google Play and everywhere else that you can find podcasts. And I blog about career hacking and investing and saving strategies at millennialboss.com. 
Millennial with two L's and two N's because no one knows how to spell it. Double L, double N. (laughs) (laughs) You should see our Google search history. Like when you could see what people type in, you're like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) say that damn spell check has ruined it for all of us i've never thought of trying to like be owners of tag words spelled wrong i know (laughs) i know actually uh, it was bobby from millennial money man who suggested we buy the misspelled version of our domain so i haven't done that yet maybe i will (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) cool well thank you very much for your time Dan. we appreciate it yes yeah you're very welcome thanks Thanks for having us on thank you gwen and jay it's clear you're both not only enthusiastic about this topic but are both well on your path to early retirement. Want to join Jay and Gwen? Get started with our free Debt-Free Guys Early Retirement Worksheet to help you start preparing right now. Just click on the More button in iTunes and download it now. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef made all my healthy meals for me. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.